Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Well, thank you very much for joining me here today, everyone. I have a really exciting episode. I have a double interview with two veterans. And I am excited to bring them on, one of them being my husband, Jameson Purry, and another, a friend, Joshua Davis. And so I'm excited to have them on to talk about the veterans' experience today. And so I will give both of them a chance to do an introduction, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So Jameson, why don't you go ahead? Okay, uh, Jameson Purry, identify as a cisgendered Black American. Um, I go by he, him pronouns, um, served in the National Guard and also in the reserve for a total of seven years, utilized some VA benefits, currently working as a veteran service officer and outreach specialist at Multnomah County. Awesome. Thank you. Josh. Hi, Emily. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. So my name is Josh Davis. Uh, I am a cisgender white male. I use he, him gender pronouns. I am a combat veteran with the United States Army. I served from 1997 to 2005 and deployed to the Middle East twice in uh, combat zones. Awesome, thank you. Um, so as you both know, um, this podcast is all about equity um, in all aspects. And then of course, with my lived experience as a person with a disability, we bring that in. And so today I just really wanted to start um, talking to both of you as you both work with veterans now and are veterans yourself. Um, what really, I wanted to you know, open up the conversation around veterans and veterans experiences and all different aspects. But I first would just love to open up and kind of start with an open-ended question as far as what are some of the um, stereotypes or the misconceptions that veterans, people have about veterans, so civilians have about veterans? And that can be a broad question from, you know, in life, in the workplace, uh, with families, any, any of those aspects. But I'll, I'll throw that one to you, Josh, first. Sure. So based upon my own experience, um, and I can, I can speak to that, and then I can speak to what I have, what I have received when people have been describing what they think of veterans without understanding the veteran experience. Mm -hmm. um, based upon my own experience, um, I have gotten that uh, the assumption that I'm uneducated, um, that I'm just a meathead, that just you know, um, all just a big muscle-bound meathead that just doesn't can't think for himself. Mm -hmm. um, that I'm not independent. Um, that I require direct leadership all the time. Um, that I'm not capable of uh, my own ideas. Um, lots of lots of those types of things. Yeah, that's wow. the, and that's just been my experience. Um, now I've heard I have heard other people say that uh, you know veterans. I've heard people describe veterans as you know they only join the military because, um, mm -hmm. and then that's usually followed with some kind of disparaging remark, i.e., they couldn't cut it here or they couldn't make it in football, or they couldn't, I mean, I've heard ridiculous stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are, and those are just, that's the tip of the iceberg. Jameson? I would say some of the same things there, but yeah, a, a lot of folks think that a lot of service members are definitely uneducated. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when people think of service members, a lot of them have this idea of service members 
predominantly being male or predominantly being cisgendered Absolutely. or predominantly being one type of person. Like, I guess if you had to try to boil it down, they think of a alpha male dominant person that's just aggressive and is all about war. Yeah. Yeah. And really the cool thing about veterans, service members, all of that is we come from all different walks of life, all different demographics, different religions, different sexual orientations. And that is the thing that many people skim over and don't even see because they can't get past their stereotypical, you know, biases that they have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, it's with when you're talking about uh, assumptions and stuff, I mean, and we can we can go into the deep end of the pool. I mean, uh, talking about these assumptions, you know, as far as women veterans go, I've heard a lot of assumptions get made. Oh, you must be a lesbian when somebody meets a woman veteran who has served. Um, women veteran, women veterans typically, uh, from based on my experience, are assertive. And I think people get threatened by that. So they assume that something must be wrong with that woman because she's assertive. Um, I.e., she must be either, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I find that to be really ridiculous. You know, people assume, you know, then there's all the jokes, you know. Uh, oh, you're in the Navy, you must be gay. Were you a submariner? Um, you know, just ridiculousness that, that really comes with, uh, with the stereotypes that come from military service. Yeah, so for both of you, um, and whoever wants to go first is great. Uh, when we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion prior to your service, so your upbringing, do you feel like you were um, well-versed in all of these different identities as far as you know, people of color, uh, LGBTQIA, um, really interacting and working intensely with women? Obviously in school we all did, but um, do you feel like you were pretty well-versed or did the military really open your eyes to the, the differences in the identities that are out there? Um, Jameson? Yeah, so <laughs> before- Thanks, baby. Come on. Yeah, before service, <laughs> there really wasn't any concept or ideal of uh, DEI anything. I grew up in Alaska, and I grew up kind of like the black swan in a predominantly white Christian school. I mean, there was literally less than five of us. Matter of fact, in my graduating class, there was two of us. The oh. class below us, there was one other person that was something other than white. So there, there really wasn't, it wasn't there. Yeah. You know, and then the introduction into the military, man, I'm seeing more people that look like me, people that have different accents, people that believe different than me, and they don't all fall into line with how I think. So this was a great introduction to a melting pot in learning how to really kind of work with, learn with, and have an inclusive mindset with other people that come from different backgrounds, religious experiences, sexual orientations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, you know, my experience with diversity, equity, inclusion <laughs> growing up, I mean, I grew up, you know, in Columbia County, which is where I, where I live now. So it's, that's okay. the Scappoose, St. Helens, um, Rainier area, just, you know, west of, northwest of Portland. And really, even though we were close to a quote unquote metropolitan city, um, my exposure to anybody other than a Caucasian, Caucasian families that were, you know, uh, you know, heteronormative across the board, that was it. I mean, that was, that was it. There were the occasional families of color that kind of came into town, but they never stayed long. And, you know, I, understanding and being a college educated adult now, I understand why, um, you know, it was, it was not a wonderful area for anybody um, who didn't identify in, in dominant culture. Um, so when I was first exposed to anybody of color, it wasn't the service. And it was, it was the most interesting experience ever because it was in basic training. And you couldn't, like geographically and culturally, you could not get two groups of people farther apart. You had an entire, you had an entire platoon of Oregon, Oregon, entire platoon of Oregon, 17-year-old men joining the infantry 
along with a platoon of 17-year-old men from Arkansas. Wow. All Caucasian, <laughs> all of them, oh, with wow. 60 African-American men from Miami. Literally, geographically wow. and culturally, you could not get any farther apart. And so that was my first experience. And unfortunately, I was brought up by parents who were not, who were not outwardly bigoted, but were very passively racist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my grandfather was like Archie Bunker from All in the Family. My, you know, my dad was not, but was still passively racist. And it was things like locking the door when they saw a black person walking mm -hmm. down the street. Um, you know, once we crossed over the St. John's Bridge, it was lock your doors. Um, wow. You know, you're not allowed to go to this part of town, um, things like that. And so um, when I got to basic training, I was terrified. Oh, wow. Terrified, which led, a, which led to a lot of like posturing and trying to be tough guy and stuff like that. So I really didn't even understand anything about diversity, equity, and inclusion until I went to college well into my 30s. Um, wow. and it was then at that point that I went to this amazing course called race, class, sex, and gender and inequality in America. It's a 15 credit comprehensive course. Wow. Took an entire quarter. And, uh, man, I, that, that course, um, that course literally changed my life. It, I mean, it, it sent me on the path that I'm on now yeah. as far as, um, working with working with veterans working with members with you know members of vulnerable populations and everything awesome um in that experience though coming from and that's i i didn't know that you were from scapoos and I, I know that's where you're where you're over there now but um i was hoping that you said that honestly but i um the amount of teamwork and camaraderie that revolves around the military mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what color your skin is or yeah. what gender you are you still have battle buddies out there and so right. did that take a mental shift or did it just happen because it it just happened and, and you it, didn't it even think about happened. it so that like that initial <laughs> that initial like exposure like being yeah. in, being in like this big open bay barracks and everything <laughs> else and like this entire miami crew being down on one end and they would rap battle themselves to sleep Man, I am from Columbia, like literally, and they would, like, it was like volleyball, like they would like volley them over, like to each other back and forth. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. I had zero <laughs> exposure to anything like that. Whatsoever. Yeah, like I wasn't allowed to listen to pop music until I got out of high school. So I mean, it was it was really something. But it was once I got over that, that first week, you know, after a week and just, you know, manned up and walked over and introduced myself and shook my hands and hey, gosh hey how's it going i'm so so all right cool and that was it and so all of a sudden like then then it was like okay this makes sense all right we all have to like really really suck together like his muscles <laughs> are tired and my butt hurts and like i know his does too and it's this and it's that and so you know i wasn't and the other thing too was i was in the combat arms and for anybody that doesn't understand what that really means is um, there was no, at that point in time, this was prior to the Department of, of Defense allowing women into, wow. there were no women in any type of uh, job that I did in the military. Oh, okay. Um, so I was, I was an infantryman, first of all, and then I was an anti-armor infantryman and blew up tanks. And so um, no, no ladies. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, it was it was full on, you know, as misogynistic as you could get, as disgusting as you can imagine. Yeah, and Jameson, it was total opposite for you. You went in and there were women already in your field and in, in all of your service years, right? Absolutely, yeah. When I went in, I went in as what they call now a 68 whiskey or healthcare specialist also called combat medic. And so that field does have uh, women in there and Rightfully so, you know, a, a woman can do what a man can do, you know. Um, so, but the cool part that really was awesome about BASIC, AIT, Advanced Individual Training is what AIT stands for um, in the military, was that they really break you down. And 
And what I mean by that is when you hop off the bus, a lot of folks get there at basic, they call them rainbows or they call us rainbows. I don't know if they're still using that term. It's not really meant to be derogatory. What it's meant is that we're all coming with these street clothes on from all different places and we look like a rainbow of colors. Right. Oh, okay. And so what they really do is they well, break that's you the first down. You get too. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. really break you down and some of it's yelling uh, by creating uniformity. So all your biases you came with, all these different clothes or whatever you think you may have, they're going to break you down and you all get treated equally. And when you all go through the same quote unquote shit, yeah. it creates unity. Does. So, well, yeah. and here's, can I jump in here too on this? Yeah. So, so here's the other piece of this too. And I have this, I have this conversation a lot with parents of veterans and I have this conversation with veterans, veterans, my, my own clients. Um, Cause I, I serve veterans in the community. Um, the, you have to understand, you know, physically, okay. Men and women. Okay. Our bodies, by the time we get to like 17, 18 years old, right we're pretty much as tall as we're going to get. We might get a little bit more muscular. We might lose some weight, but you essentially have your adult body, right? Your brain, on the other hand, mm -mm. in that crucial age of 17 and 25, okay, that wiring is getting mapped, all right? That, that you turn, you as a human being are becoming the adult that you're going to be for the rest of your life, right? Like, with your moods, the things that you like, yeah. the people that you're into, the you know music, all these different views and all these things, all these things are, all these pathways are getting created between that crucial 17 to 25 year old time. And it's no coincidence that the Department of Defense wants to recruit fine, fine young people between yeah. those crucial ages of 17 to 25 years old because they have a job to do and they have pathways to make. Exactly. And yeah. When they make those pathways, they are what they need them to be. Yeah. And then when they aren't those people anymore, it's hard to undo those. But I know that that's a, that's a question farther down the line. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, definitely. I love that. Um, I know a lot of the community listening care about all different types of um, issues here in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. So I love that that got brought up right away. Um, let's switch gears a little bit to uh, what, what are some of the things I think we have a lot of people who are, are leaders of businesses and are also in the workplace. Um, what are some of the uh, barriers and kind of the misconceptions again, but also um, the, I also want to touch on the benefits of having veterans in the workplace, but let's talk about some of the, the things that are hard for veterans to adapt to civil, civil, not civil, uh, civilian work after being in the military. So a veteran coming out of the military, uh, what, what are hard, what are some things that are hard for, for veterans? I would say some things that I've seen that are hard for veterans is navigating ambiguity, like there it is. Tell us what tell us what the marching orders are. Make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. You, <laughs> we're very yes. easy at following orders, but just make them clear. Yes. You know, sometimes those those gray areas, or I don't mean to say passive aggressiveness or not being direct is mm -hmm. not something that most military folks naturally navigate well. Mm. You know, we we really like if you are not satisfied with something that you say exactly that yeah, right. yeah. we know how to make that adjustment okay right. so ambiguity what's something for you josh that that stands i I, just, I i mean jameson the thunder stealer I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no i'm just playing but no i mean i couldn't agree more i mean and i know for me for me personally um you know i th i think back about the jobs that i held since the time that i left the service and they are all very, very military in nature. Um, you know, I was, I was a police officer for a couple of years. And then I was a professional bouncer for 10 years. Um, <laughs> taught other people how to bounce. Um, you know, and then, you know, I was a security guard for a little bit. You know, and, it, and, you know, I really started struggling once I started working in government. You know, um, because they're, like Jameson said, there's, 
there's just so much wishy-washy. Mm. If there's anything the military is not, it's wishy-washy. Okay. Yeah. You clearly have a yes, you will, or no, you won't. And for veterans in the workplace, that becomes very problematic. You know, I had a supervisor, I had a supervisor at one point who, um, who said to me, you know, you don't have to volunteer for everything all the time. You can say no. Why would I say no? Mm. You, I mean, you're asking, you're asking me if I'm available to do something. I've looked at my calendar. I mean, I'm not really doing anything. Well, of course I'll be there. Yeah. It, veterans come with a sense of duty. If you say to that, to that veteran, okay, here is your job description. Okay. Jane veteran. Um, Jane veteran, this is your job description. I would like for you to go into ABC. Jane veteran is going to go and do ABC until the supervisor says, don't do ABC. <laughs> but if the supervisor wants Jane veteran to do ABC and then stop halfway and go check on D and F and, and all of these other things, but doesn't tell Jane veteran that directly, that mm. can be problematic and that can be tough to get used to. Because that's why would you, why would you do that? Because you wouldn't be following orders if you did that. Because right. you right. have a you have a protocol to follow, but even as much as direct communication works really good from like a supervisor to a service member, right? Service it also to... can be very detrimental the other way because we like to be very direct, and when you deal with folks from the civilian sector, sometimes that's very intimidating or aggressive yes. to them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Especially in passive aggressive Portland, for sure. Oh. One, 100%, 100%. I can tell you personally, um, I have, I have experienced it in my current position within, within county government. Um, I, you know, experienced it when I was in college and stuff too. Clear down to my haircut. I was told that my haircut was too aggressive. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works. Um, they didn't shave any words into the side of my head. Um, my hair was not holding a weapon, um, <laughs> but in some way, shape, or form, my hair was considered too aggressive. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, and it's, it, but it's a real thing. You yeah. know, I have, I was working with, uh, with volunteers one time and, uh, somebody that was working with, a with an organization that I was working with at the same time, uh, um, as a volunteer and this person quite literally really just had to leave like they ended up quitting um because i was too direct mm. and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't a matter of i, I wasn't mean i was just direct yeah. and like jameson said that can be really really tough for people to swallow sometimes absolutely so josh you mentioned um as a as a a problem, but I also see that as we switch gears into the benefit of hiring veterans as um, something that you, the, the one you mentioned about, you know, completing tasks. If you give right. a graduate a task, they're going to complete it. And so you can see that I feel like that can go both ways. Right. Um, well, the, thing to, the thing to remember though is, is yes, veterans are really great at following orders, but don't get it messed up. Veterans are also really trainable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean that that they, they come they come with as a sponge, like all right, you want me to do this, you tell me how to do it, and I'll go do it. Yeah. And so, well, yeah, and as you mentioned at the beginning, the the independence. You're not just a. You also want independence, and you have ideas, and you don't just want to follow orders, but Ooh. you are very good at doing it as well. So you know the both hand on that. But just the saying, adapt and overcome. We are very, very adaptable. Yeah. Awesome. What What is uh, some other benefits to hiring veterans that you guys can talk about? When you hire a veteran or when an employee looks for a veteran to hire and you give a veteran a decent wage job, veterans are loyal and they will stay. They will work hard and they're used to working hard. That's just part of the DNA of being a veteran or a service member. They're they're not the they're not people that aren't willing to put in the work. If they weren't that, they would have never signed up or had a sense of duty to join the service. Right. So you know you know they're gonna work hard and try to come up through the ranks. So 
So they're trainable, they're loyal, they'll work hard for you, and they actually are very nine times out of ten good at constructive criticism. Yes. Yeah. They're used to being yelled at. So if you're nice, they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) No, that's awesome, man. I got you. Yeah. I love that. Um, So. And here's another one, too. I mean, okay. And and I'll bounce this off of Jameson. What is one of the things that you hated the most about the military? Like if I, like if, say, Josh messed up, now everybody has to suffer the mistakes for one person. I right. didn't necessarily like that, but I understand the benefit of that because if an individual fails, the team fails. So it makes the team grow closer together to support everyone in the team. Right. I mean, and that's a theory, but I think in general, even thinking really generally, you know what I hated the most? What? Dumb stuff. Busy work. Oh, just dumb stuff. Oh yeah. Just, it's dumb. Stuff Inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, the or a standard operating procedure that is so ridiculous and so slow and so inefficient. What's going to happen is when you hire a veteran, you're going to get somebody that's innovative. Veterans hate doing dumb stuff. Like more than anybody I've met, like I can meet somebody that haven't served in the military and they'll be doing something. And I might, and I'll stand back and observe for a second and I'll wonder, I wonder why they're doing it that way. <laughs> it seems a little inefficient. That is true. Now that you mention yeah. that, and and, how many things you know, have we changed? Yeah. All the time. I mean, yeah. Jameson all day long and full disclosure, Jameson and I work on the same team together all day long. Jameson spends time innovating. The other veteran that is on our team works with Jameson innovating. Mm-hmm. Me and Jameson, we get together. We talk, how do we reach our veterans? Mm-hmm. We innovate. We yeah. don't do things the same way if they're not efficient. Yeah. And so, and if they don't make sense, if it doesn't make sense, if you hire a veteran, nine times out of 10, that veteran's going to find a way to make it better. And if they make it better, you, the business owner, are going to save money. Yeah. Well, and I also think the busy work. I think that's when Jameson was in service when we were together. Mm-hmm. He will, would be willing to work hard. He would rather work hard and get the job done and move forward than right. doing busy work that just keeps them busy for a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Okay, right. hurry up and wait. No, let's get this yeah. done. Let's move forward. Let's let's yeah. move on. Um, and so I think that was frustrating. And I think I see it in his work in the last 10 years that we've been together, just when right. when it's stuff that is busy work or stuff that's difficult and and doesn't make sense there's not a really clear purpose mm-hmm. uh, that's that's hard um for him right. um okay so moving mm-hmm. through so a lot of people look at veterans or hear veterans and hear the heroic side of things and then they also mm-hmm. um, the, their first uh visions if you will are the hero and then ptsd and so i wanted to address especially since this podcast does um target a lot of people with disabilities as well but Mm -hmm. equity included um looking at ptsd and the especially the misconceptions around that diagnosis um Uh and so there's the common misconceptions and then how people, how you feel this plays out in, in life for veterans. Most people's misconception is that people that have post-traumatic stress disorder is that it's full blown and they are not functional. They have no social role value and they just really need to be isolated or separated from folks because they don't have anything to offer and or give or are not able to function. Mm. That is a common misconception. That is a bad misconception. And it really has no place. There's plenty of people with post-traumatic stress disorder that have a lot to give their community. There's fully functioning folks out there with post-traumatic stress disorder. It's based upon the symptomology and how much you're experiencing those. And then whether you have the supports or getting the treatment, do you have the loved ones and the other things around you? And I think a lot of people, same with stereotypes, just hear a label and automatically roll into their assumptions without ever getting to understand and know the individual. And people are always so quick to put label first before person. Yeah. And the aggression. I I mean, I hear a lot about, oh, aggression is the immediate PTSD symptom that people think about. 
now. I can tell I can tell you as as a veteran service officer working with clients that present with PTSD. Do you know what the number one emotion is that I see out of clients? That's shame. Yeah. Shame That's and horrible. guilt. Shame and misplaced guilt for what they've put their family through or what they've perceived that they've put their family through. Mm. Not aggression, not rage, not psychosis, not um, listlessness, not all of these other things and these other terms and these other assumptions, not hallucinating, you know, they're not, they don't come in hallucinating. Um, most of my clients do not die for cover when a car backfires. Most of my clients do not, um, you know, refuse to watch, you know, uh, refuse to watch more movies. I mean, it's, that's, it's very, very individualized, the, the, the reaction and the way a service member or veteran might process their PTSD experience. And one um, thing I wanted to mention about all of this is you know, you're talking a little bit about the definition of a hero. Some, some of these folks, I think that are coming in at their most vulnerable time to see a veteran service officer like myself or Josh, or, or just interacting with a social worker or seeking these mental health treatments. Some of those to me are the true heroes because they're coming in, they're being vulnerable and they're getting the help they need, which is also creating a roadmap and pathway for others to do the same. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they, you know, Jameson's, Jameson's right. I mean, you know, veterans come to, you know, veteran service officers like Jameson and myself, and they have to be raw, just as raw as could be. And, you know, they have to, like Jameson said, be vulnerable and trust that we're going to believe them, whatever they tell us, that we're going to believe them and that we're going to advocate for them and that we are going to honor their service and not make them regret it and not make them regret coming in to sit across from us. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's just so important, you know, and, you know, and with the PTSD thing, you know, like Jamison said there, PTSD, you know, the closest thing that I can equate it to, and, and, you know, if you get hate mail, I'm sorry. Um, the closest thing I can equate it to could be autism. Mm. Autism, we know now exists on a very fluid scale, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. We know that there are some folks that have severe, severe autism on a, on a very deep end of the scale, and they require very, very specific care yes. that is specific to their needs. But then there are some folks that are on the other end of it that they are very high functioning, mm -hmm. and, their, and their autism is managed not controlled, not cured, managed. It's yeah. managed either maybe by medication, maybe by therapy, maybe by alternative, alternative means, whatever it is they need to do. And there's a lot that are probably somewhere in the middle. PTSD, I personally feel, and, and I am not a doctor, I'll, full disclosure, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> County Veteran Service <laughs> Officer, um, I'm all, I almost have my BSW, so what I say means absolutely bleep. Um, but my, my theory behind it is I think PTSD exists kind of on a spectrum like that too. Yeah. And I think that it can be very fluid, like a roller coaster. I think that a lot of times you can probably just kind of putter along um, and be on that kind of shallow end of the spectrum mm -hmm. to where you have your good days and your bad days, but for the most part, they're okay days. And you kind of yeah. just do your thing. But then there are other times where situations, reminders, times of year, triggers, all kinds of things might just be that thing that day that sends you to the deep end of the spectrum. Yeah. Or maybe you are, and, and maybe now that you're in that deep end, you might be stuck for a little bit. And it's going to take a while for you to kind of climb back out and get back to a middle somewhere or maybe back to the shallow end. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that have been able to get back to the shallow end and have had to work really, really, really hard to stay there. Mm -hmm. And it's an everyday job. It's an everyday grind of preventative care. 
it's getting good sleep, it's getting exercise, it's diet, it is preventative care, you know, talking to your counselor if you need to, staying on a medication regime if that's what's required for you to be well. And it, a lot of work goes into it, but it's possible to stay on that shallow end that you still have the condition. Yeah. You know, you got the condition, but you just managed to stay on the shallow end and you do your job yeah. and you work hard and you're a great employee for that. Awesome. I love it. And I think that's, that's a lot of, I mean, even with my, myself with a vision disability, some days I'm completely capable of doing all sorts of things. Other days I can't or yeah. You know, all, all different things. So I think the disability community definitely um, can understand that and grasp that. Um, so as we start to wrap up here, I definitely want to touch on resources afterwards, but for both of you, what closing, do you have any closing remarks or either that or questions that you, we didn't address that you wanted to? Um, and then we'll, we'll tap, tap on resources at the end. So I'll take about half of this and then Josh jump in, but <clears throat> So for, for veterans, loved ones, family members, there's a plethora of resources out there from getting VA healthcare. Such a great word. To uh, HUD-VASH vouchers, HUD-VASH Section 8 vouchers to help folks that you know uh, need subsidies for, for their housing. Yes. To benefits because they had a disability in service and they still suffer from it today. There's non-service connected pension, the folks that are wartime veterans or served during a wartime over the age of 65. I'm not going to go into the whole spiel. Um, that's too much. That's, but another, that, that's another podcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and then there's also benefits for surviving spouses and dependent children. And there's a plethora. And so I'll stop there, Josh, because, yeah, go. <laughs> no, um, you know, parting, parting thoughts, you know, it's, one of these things, you know, I think the veteran experience, um, and it's tough because we have to use this type of language in the, in the world in which we exist. Oftentimes that language includes things like vulnerable populations or vulnerable individuals. And I, as much as I hate to say it, vulnerable has kind of a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it's like saying that they're not capable. Mm -hmm but they are. Absolutely. So, um, but when we're talking about vulnerable populations, and I think that really kind of includes underserved populations, mm -hmm. um, you know, and these, the, the underserved populations, um, the biggest, the, the biggest thing that I see is just the complete and total lack of access to information. Mm such a lack of access to information and i mean it's so it's so clear that like i mean you can and i can i can equate it to like a bowl of marbles like i mean you could like if you had the map where it has all of the people that have access to the information all of those marbles would be white and all the people that don't have access are all other colors mm -hmm. right and it's horrible like we have got to figure out a way to balance the scales when it comes to the access to information about benefits and entitlements yeah. that have been earned through those veteran community service. We've, we've got to, we've got to figure it out. It, it just, yeah. I mean, I, I feel, I really feel like that's one of my, like my driving forces with, the, with underserved populations. Like how do we figure it out? Like we got to figure it out because white people are covered, you know, yeah. I mean, full disclosure, like I'm, I'm a white male. I know I'm covered. Yeah. Like I can't, like, I can't look anywhere and not see something directed at me, a veteran, whether it's on a bus, whether it's on TV, whether it's on a bumper sticker or whatever else, but it's not the same story for everybody else. Got to get there. So veterans, veterans are probably some of the most resilient mm. people you will ever meet but even resilient people sometimes need assistance or directions to those resources mm. you know veterans aren't out here looking for a handout veterans need a hand up yeah. 
and that hand up would be directing them to a veteran service officer, whether it be a county veteran service officer, whether it be a national service organization, whether it be the VA hospital or a social worker, plugging them into the resources is what they need, especially for veterans that come from communities of color or from, uh, or women veterans or veterans that uh, identify as LGBTQIA+. Th those veterans come from marginalized populations and we really need to do our outreach, outreach efforts or even our efforts period just as human beings to really make sure we plug them into those resources and get them the help they need. So Absolutely. Let me fill a gap here for the civilians listening. Um, does every state have a veteran service office available in it, whether it's every county, maybe not, but it is every state? Uh, no. No. So, okay. so not every state in the United States, I mean, it's not, there's no federal requirement to have a veteran no. service office in every state. Um, I can tell you for the state of Oregon, um, there is at least one veteran service officer assigned for all 36 counties in the state. Okay. So at least one. Now, like Washington State, for instance, our neighbors to the north, um, they their budget it works very very differently. A lot of all their money gets allocated out to national service organizations. Gotcha. Uh, we're talking about organizations like the Veterans of Foreign Wars or the American Legion or Disabled Veterans of America. You okay. Know, uh, Foundation of the Purple Heart. Um, those and those folks all do wonderful work, but they do it on a national scale. Um, their veteran service officers oftentimes are volunteers. And so when anytime your workforce is comprised of volunteers and they're not being paid, it becomes very difficult to maintain a lot of consistency. Yeah. And so we oftentimes as county veteran service entities, a lot of us reside in the communities in which we serve. Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, like I know, you know, just from knowing you and Jameson personally, like I know you guys reside within 15 miles of where you work. Yeah. You know, I reside within 20, 25 miles of where I work. Yeah. So, I mean, and we don't go far, you know, we're here, you know, when, when the veteran comes back and they're looking for more answers, we're here. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times there's, there's problems with the national service organizations as, as it relates to that. Awesome. Um, so yes, definitely get your loved ones or if you are a veteran and you need to get connected with benefits um, this is a world that as a civilian I didn't understand at all never even really heard of um, until meeting Jameson and him working where he is and um, you know there's all different levels of benefits there's all different types of benefits as the, as both of these amazing guys mentioned uh, so if you have questions reach out to uh, your local county, especially here in Oregon, or your state organizations for veterans and see what's out there and available for the veterans in your lives. Um, anything else to wrap things up, you two? I feel like this just, barely scratched the surface, so. Barely. Oh yeah, there's so, we can, we can do a deep dive next time, but just the fact that there's so many folks out there that served, and, and it's a good question to ask. So, so here's one thing, and Josh, this is a good jump off too, because you know, a lot of civilians say, oh, you know, Veterans Day comes up or this, and how do I approach a veteran? What do I say? Like say, hey, are you a veteran? You know, a good yeah. question to ask is, what, Josh? Uh, have you ever been in the military? <laughs> there you go. That's a very good question. Some people may not identify as veterans, yeah. you know, and, and they yeah. may not, oh, I'm not a veteran or oh, I'm this, but if you're trying to connect them with benefits, may, hey, have you ever served in the military? Or, hey, have you ever served, awesome. you know? and yeah. You know, sometimes people don't know, or you may see a veteran and you don't know how to approach them. Yeah. Take, take the label away. Treat them yeah. like anybody else. Yeah. I was going to say, here's a good cliffhanger for you for our next podcast. Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. So well, that was going to be my six-year-old question. Dang it, you killed it. Oh, did uh, I really? Oh, no. So um, one of the, usually, as listeners know, <laughs> Jameson's the one asking the six-year-old question. But today, I want to ask you both the six-year-old question. And I have heard this, and I have actually been asked this in the past, and I think Jameson's been asked. Um, many people, especially if they see you in uniform or some kind of a identifier for the military, or they find out, um, my six-year-old question is, 
what can you do as a civilian to thank a veteran for their service other than saying thank you for your service, which is exactly where I was going, Josh, killing me. Um, but what what is a good approach to that so you're not um, offensive, you're not triggering, you're not um, assuming, you're not doing all those things. So what is the, what can somebody do, a civilian, when they see a veteran and they wanna say thank you for your service, what's something else somebody could do? I think for, well, I'll, I will tell you what I do. And I'm, I'm lucky, I mean, full disclosure, being a veteran, um, working in the field that we work in, um, I've got a pretty great eagle eye for veterans. I mean, I could pretty much, I could spot a veteran a mile away, mm -hmm. part, woman or man, and almost be able to tell what era they served in. Just, oh. by, looking, <laughs> just by looking at them. And I, you know, I'm looking at tattoos and haircuts and figures and stuff. But, um, but, you know, if I will tell you immediately, if I can determine that they are a Vietnam era veteran or earlier, all day long, I will say, thank you for your service. Welcome home. <laughs> Every wow. single time. Because they didn't get it. They didn't receive that. And they should sure. have. And, and we owe them. We really do. We owe them. Me, I got that all day long. I mean, when I, when I came home um, from Iraq in 2004, um, you know, strack young man, short military haircut. I mean, I could not buy Apple with cash and a gun. I mean, it just wasn't like, I mean, it was, I, I couldn't buy an apple with cash and a gun. I mean, and everybody's, thank you for your service and gave me hugs and cards and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. Mm. Um, now, I think as far as our, our current era goes, um, it just really depends. I think sometimes you get veterans that, that get real bratty about it. And that's the best, that's the best way that I can put it is they get bratty about it and they're like what you can't come up with something better to say than thank you for your service oh, okay. and and my answer to them is well at least they were thinking about you so shut your face yeah, absolutely so i mean i think i think thank you for your service is just fine it's i mean at least you're you know at least you're considering it um other things to, other things that you could say um you know alternative things could be hey welcome home um Thank you for your sacrifice. I appreciate what you did. Sure. Um, you know, I'm so glad that you're home. Glad you made it home safe. You know, thing, things like that. I think things in which you can emphasize the here and the now and that you're happy that they're here with you in this moment. Sure. Because really, I think that's what, I think that's what folks are trying to convey. Yeah. You know, you just don't know how. So, you know, if me, you know, me, if I, if I engage with a veteran, you know, and it happens, it happens to me all the time because of who I am and what I do. Um, I am drawn to veterans. I can tell you, you know, my, my lovely, lovely, wonderful, wonderful wife. She is so patient when we go to places <laughs> because I am a veteran magnet. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm sure Jameson experiences it too from time to time. Um, you know, I am a veteran magnet. And so veterans get drawn to me and start conversation and stuff like that um, but really it is I want when I meet with them I want to show them my appreciation for them stopping and taking this moment in their life and sharing it with me right and they've just enriched my life because here I am talking with somebody who's a lot cooler than me in the here <laughs> so like figure out a way figure out a way to 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 express that yeah. You sir, you ma'am, you other person, whatever it is you identify as, you were a lot cooler than me in the here and the now. And thanks for spending that moment with me. Absolutely. Just be real. That's it. Yep. And there's so much power too in even the nonverbal. Yeah. Just eye contact, a warm smile, a handshake, just noticing somebody's existence and the appreciation that yeah. you can do even with a nonverbal communication means so much. Yeah, just look for the guy where guy or girl wearing desert boots with blue jeans and a stupid green backpack. Like you'll you'll see him. <laughs> uh, and I know Jameson once uh, somebody was asking us 
they were in McDonald's and they saw a veteran and he was an older veteran. And mm-hmm. they said, you know, I can say thank you for your service, but is there anything else I could have done? And so Jameson said, yeah, ask if you can buy him a cup of coffee or yeah. you know, have a conversation, yeah. have a conversation, talk about the, whatever, but just acknowledging it and, you know, saying thank you, but then also offering not that they need it, but can I say thank you with a cup of coffee? Um, would Absolutely. You, you know, so yeah. I think that's something of value. Cause I think it's kind of, it's kind of like you say, you know, it's like, so you obviously can visually see they're a veteran. Talk to them as a human now. You can yeah. see somebody has a disability. Great. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you about your disability or that. Now, hey, my name is Jameson. Mm. Hey, can I sit down and have a cup of coffee with you? Now talk to them, get to know them as a human, not the label. Right. Yeah. right. yeah, if you already know. Yeah. Okay, move on. <laughs> move on. Exactly. Move on. Like, if you've noticed, awesome. Engage. Your service. How's your yeah. day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. Well, good. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you both so much. Um, appreciate you for being here today, and we will talk to you all soon. I really enjoyed it. Let's do it again. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N dot org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.